Well, good morning, Faith Church. We having a good day so far? Man, I am so glad all of you guys are here. Like I said, if you don't know me, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. And I get to be with you on this beautiful 4th of July weekend. Did y'all have a good time last night? Any fireworks lovers out there? People that like blowing your money up in the sky? I won't do it. I don't spend my own money. I let you spend your money, and then I watch you blow your money up because I'm cheap. Um, but that's just, that's just me. You blow your money up all day and I'll come watch it and it's gonna be a good time. Hey, if you're here in Florence, would you put your hands together and help me welcome everybody in our Lawrenceburg campus, everyone in our online campus. Hello to all of you guys. If you can't make it out here, we're so excited that you guys are joining us as well. Today's gonna be a little bit different. Um, I'm going to do my best because I don't feel like I wanna get like preachy today. Sometimes, confession, I got a couple confessions. Sometimes I can get pretty preachy, right? I'm gonna try not to do that uh, today, but I do have a confession. And it's something I've learned about myself, um, especially during this quarantine time. I heard um, Pastor Craig Groeschel, he leads the, the largest church in um, our country. Um, he said one time that as a leader, it's better to always be real than to always be right. And so I have like, I have taken that as my personal mantra. Like I want to be the guy that if you say anything about me, I want to be real. Like I want to be that guy. And so today I've got a confession for you. Um, and it's something I've learned about myself. Maybe you've learned about yourself. Um, I have trust issues. Anybody else have trust issues? Raise your hand. Okay, some of you. Okay. Some of you didn't raise your hands and that's because you really have trust issues. <laughs> that you won't even raise your hand in church, but I have trust issues. Uh, I'm seeing it more and more. Um, I don't really know where it started. I've tried to kind of trace it back um, through my childhood because it's kind of dealt with it for a long time. And um, I don't know if it was the first time I went in my grandma's house and, and she'd made cookies and she told me I could have one. And so I got all excited and I ran to the stove to grab a cookie and just can't wait to taste the chocolate chips. And I take a bite only to realize it's not chocolate chips. Y'all know what it is? Oatmeal raisin cookies. And since that day, I can't eat raisins. I don't like raisins because I got trust issues now because granny said I would like the cookies. I could have one. And she didn't tell me they were oatmeal raisin. It looked like chocolate chip. And ever since then, I, can't, I don't like it. Maybe like I remember coming up and I had to go get like shots. I grew up terrified of needles. So I don't know if maybe like my mom told me, it's like, it's fine. It's not going to hurt. Stop being a baby. It's not going to hurt. You're 14. And so I go in and the doctor comes and sticks this big old needle in my arm. And guess what? It hurt. I said, Mom, you're a liar. Got trust issues now. Got trust issues with mechanics. Anybody ever been done over by a mechanic, right? You go in, you got like a squeak. Like, oh, well, this is what's going on. We can fix it. Well, how much is that going to cost? $4 million. Thanks, the car only cost me three grand, but that's fine. This happened last week. I got trust issues with, um, with eating establishments. Yeah, yeah, tell me about it. We went to my wife's choice of her favorite taco joint in town. And we go in and I already struggle because it's not my favorite taco joint in town. I'm not gonna call their name because I'm about to call them out. And so she knows what she loves and she goes in and she gets the same thing every time because that's the kind of people we are. But I wasn't real sure what I wanted, but I'm also a picky eater. I know I don't look like it. I just eat a lot. Why are you laughing about that, dog? That wasn't funny, but I, I, I'm kind of picky. 
And so I was looking at this menu because I'm not real familiar with all the items and I see one on there. I'm like, okay, that one looks good. And I always read the ingredients really close because you, you can't have the, the stuff I don't like in it. I'm like, well, that one's perfect. That one doesn't have any of the stuff I don't like in it. So I get it, sit down at the table, I get my burrito, I sit down, take a bite. They put salad in my burrito. <laughs> it's lettuce, if you don't know. That's what my youngest calls lettuce, salad. And it wasn't on the menu. It didn't, the ingredients to my burrito didn't say lettuce on it, but they put lettuce on it. And I told Brittany, I was like, I, I don't know what to do. I ate it because I'm against taco abuse. But now I got to like, okay, so now anytime I go somewhere, yeah, I don't want lettuce, I don't want tomatoes. Well, yeah, it doesn't come with it. I understand it doesn't come with it, but you put it on there the last time I was here, even though it doesn't come with it. So I'm just letting you know because I don't trust you don't put lettuce or tomatoes, a salad on my burrito. I've got trust issues with pastors. So now we're going to get a little more serious. Now we're going to like take it. So how do you have trust issues with pastors? You're a pastor. I know. That's why I have trust issues with pastors. See, I've been doing this a long time. I've been in some different churches and I've just got to tell you, see, not all pastors are as real, authentic, is God honoring as Pastor Steve Husky, right? Truly. There's some, there's some dudes out there that they're spiritually abusive. They do dumb stuff. They're prideful and arrogant and they use the platform God's given them and they, they hurt people. And I've been hurt by some pastors before. And so when I meet them, even though I am one, I got trust issues. I'll give you one. I've got trust issues with God. Now, see, that sucked the air out of the room, didn't it? Like, see, I've got trust issues with God. It's been that way a long time. Like, I fight it back and forth. And see, the hard thing is, especially from somebody like me, you're not supposed to say that, right? So you're a pastor. Well, see, here's, here's what I had to deal with. When I first got into ministry, I started my first church, true story, they don't prepare you for all this stuff, but the very first funeral I ever had to do in my entire life, having no idea what I was doing, was of a baby boy that didn't live 48 hours. And I had to stand as a 28-year-old know-nothing. I had to stand by a tombstone, this little bitty shoebox-sized casket, and try to explain to this grieving mom and family that God was good and that, that he was going to work this out. And I'll be honest, me and God had some issues we had to talk through because that don't make sense. That shouldn't happen. The longer I do this, you've experienced it too. I see bad things happen to good people. You can kind of come into a place like this and we can sing songs and Jesus, you can change everything. And for some of you, you sit out there and you sing that song, but you've been praying for God to do something in your life for years, and guess what he hasn't done? Changed anything. And the truth is it gives us trust issues, but somewhere, some well-meaning pastor or Christian that you've ran into, somewhere, someone told us that it's not okay for us to say we have trust issues with God. Somebody told us that we can't be real. Well, you just need more faith. 
You just got to pray more. You just need to read your Bible, trust, don't doubt God. But see, that's easier said than done. And you see, there's something I've learned about God in the years that I've been following him. It's that he's not afraid of real life. He isn't afraid of your feelings. See, here's a, here's a pro tip. He already knows what you're feeling. He knows the thoughts that you're battling. He knows what's going on in your life. And the cool thing about God is that you can be a person of faith and not be a person that's fake. You can be real. You can be open and honest with God. And I'm gonna prove it to you today. We're gonna dive into a story. If you got your Bibles, you can uh, pick up in Luke chapter one. We're gonna pick up with this story of a man named Zachariah and a woman named Elizabeth. Now, Zachariah was a priest in the New Testament. He was one of many. And um, Luke goes on to tell us later on that, that Zachariah and Elizabeth were older in years. We don't know exactly how old they were, but we do know that they were past the, um, the age that they would have kids so they're not parents' age, they're like grandparents' age, um, but they have no kids. Zachariah's a priest, and in that day, all the priests would get together, and they would cast lots, or basically like draw straws, like roll dice, basically, to determine which priest was going to go into the innermost room of the temple um, where the presence of God dwelt. So it's kind of a really dangerous thing. I don't have time to go into it, but like it, it's a big deal. And this year where we're going to pick up, Zachariah's name has been called. It's his job to go into the Holy of Holies. And this is where we pick up. Luke chapter one says that while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. And Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. You would be too, Right? It says, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zachariah, for God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. That's why he's John the Baptist. <laughs> Somehow I'll get to that later. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Whoa. Put yourself in Zachariah's shoes. This angel shows up and tells you, hey, your prayer's answered. What prayer? We already know that Zacharias, he's like a grandparent age. How many of you grandparents in here are praying to have kids? It's not your prayer, right? So we don't know. Maybe this is a prayer that, that Zachariah and Elizabeth prayed 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. But you see, just because a prayer hasn't been answered yet doesn't mean that God still doesn't hear your prayer. And so he tells him, your prayer's gonna be answered. You're gonna have a son. And guess what? Your son is gonna be awesome. Like he's gonna be a mover and a shaker. Your son is going to change the world. I ain't never had an angel tell me that about my kids. I got some cool kids. So Zachariah goes home and 
him and Elizabeth do the thing that they have to do to have the kid. And sure enough, just like the angels told them, they have a kid. And as John grows up, how many of you had that dad that loves to tell stories? Anybody? My dad's a storyteller. I've heard them all a thousand times. I know every single detail. And my dad's the kind that like, he's gonna include the names of all the people that were in the party at the place. You ain't ever met or heard of any of them, but he's gonna give you first, last, and middle initial. He's gonna tell you what date it was and how the weather was outside. He's a storyteller and he loves it. And I always like the stories, not because I don't know what's gonna happen, but because he likes telling the story so much. And I just have to believe that that's how Zachariah was because if an angel ever showed up and told me how awesome my kid was gonna be, you just gotta know that my kid, his entire life is gonna hear this story about this angel that showed up and prophesied your birth and told me what you were gonna do. So we got three boys. The top two, they're all awesome. The top two are a little more like laid back and chill. The younger one, he's not really and but I tell my boys all the time because I want them to know how special they are. I want them to know how gifted they are. So I've always, their entire life, dude, you're awesome. How'd you get so cool? Man, you're pretty. How'd you get to be so good looking? I want them to have confidence. My youngest one has heard this so much throughout his life. We'll tell him, homie, I call him homie. I'll say, homie, you were awesome. And you know what he'll say? I know. <laughs> he will. I know. And that's cool because I want him to know he is awesome. And you just gotta know as John the Baptist is growing up, every time he starts doing something a little crazy, right? He's trying to be a baby kid. He's gonna do some stuff he shouldn't be doing. Zachariah's telling him, hey, John, you ain't gonna do that. Because remember, that angel showed up and he said exactly who you were gonna be and what you were gonna do. You're gonna be set apart. You were gonna be a world changer. And John the Baptist grew up knowing that to be true about himself. He'd heard it his entire life. And sure enough, John grows up. He becomes, he starts his ministry and guess what happens? Exactly what the angel told him would happen. Pick up in Matthew chapter three, starting in verse five, we're told that people from Jerusalem and from all Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. So John starts this ministry and thousands upon thousands of people would follow John. They would come out, they would flock to hear him teach. Like you're talking ministry on a mega church scale. That was John the Baptist. People would repent and they would, they would turn away from their wicked ways and he would baptize them. And he's, he's preaching the coming of the Messiah and exactly what the angel told Zechariah takes place. John's changing the world. Everybody knows who John is. Everybody. So much so as we keep reading through the story, Matthew 3, 13 picks up. We're told that one day, Jesus himself takes a special trip from Galilee to the Jordan River with one mission, to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. He says, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. So why are you coming to me? And Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. And so John agreed to baptize him. And then check this out. Verse 16 says that after Jesus' baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, y'all seen baptisms, right? John's holding Jesus, they're in the river. 
John takes Jesus under the water and it says that as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. I've seen some cool stuff. I've been a part of some really cool stuff, even when it comes to like church world. Like I've, I've seen God do miracles. I've, I've been a part of revivals and powerful experiences. But I'll be honest, I ain't ever seen that. In fact, this is one of very few times in the entire scriptures that we see that all three persons of the Trinity are present in one time and space. Jesus the Son is in the water. This is Jesus. I'm John, because I'm not gonna be Jesus. Standing next to Jesus, Jesus the Son is here. We're told that the skies open, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and lands on Jesus' shoulder because I'm a kid, I picture a pirate's parrot, you know? It's like the dove's here, John's here, the, like, not the parrot, the, the Holy Spirit is a dove and Jesus, and then they hear what I can only imagine would be a booming, impressive voice from the heavens, God the Father saying, this is my son who I love, in whom I'm well pleased. Now, let me ask you this. In that moment, do you think John has any issues believing in or trusting Jesus? No. Clearly, this is the son of God. How do you know? God just told me. Literally, I just heard him say it. You don't get closer to Jesus than baptizing Jesus. You can't, can't do it. John's not questioning who Jesus is. He knows who he is. He's, he's preached about him his entire life. Now he's seeing him before his very eyes. As we continue reading, we're told in John chapter one, verse 35, picking up, it says, the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. And as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, and this is John yelling because it's got exclamation marks, right? He says, look, there is the lamb of God. When John's disciples heard this, they stopped following John and began following Jesus. See, in this time, much like we run into today, people were trying to, to justify Jesus. They were trying to say, well, he's a good teacher. He's a good rabbi. He's a, he's a prophet. He's a good man, a good example. And John said, no, no, no. Don't get it twisted. That's the Messiah. That's the one we've been looking for. He's it. Pointing people to Jesus. See, John didn't have any issues trusting in Jesus, believing in God. Until... He had issues trusting Jesus and believing in God. See, as you continue reading on in the story of John, what you see happen is not only was John's ministry that of baptizing people, but like we said, God had, God had prophesied through the angel that John would be one that would turn the wicked back to God, right? He would call people on the acts that they were doing, the evil things that they were participating in. He would call them out, Call him to repentance. John was a bad man. He was an in-your-face kind of guy. 
And it's one thing when he's calling out blacksmiths and fishermen. But as you continue on in the story of John, you see that there came a time where John called out the king. He saw King Herod himself doing some stuff that did not honor God, right? That he should not be doing. And John calls him out on it, tells him, repent, stop what you're doing, turn away from it. And here's how the king handled that. Luke chapter three, starting in verse 19, we're told that when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things that he had done, Herod added this to them all, and he locked John up in prison. Now hold up. John is the guy that his entire life, he's done everything right. He was set apart. He never wore what he wasn't supposed to wear. He never ate what he wasn't supposed to eat. He never drank a drop. John was as good as they came. He was as righteous as you could be as a human. And what we see in this story happen is that a very bad thing happened to a very good person. John finds himself locked up in prison. We don't know how long he stayed there. As you kind of follow the timelines through scripture, we know that, that it was at least 10 months no more than two years, okay? So this wasn't like an overnight stay, right? Like in Mayberry. Like this is, he's in prison. He's there a long time. And this isn't the type of prisons we think of today, right? Where you get three hots and a cot and color TV and you get to play basketball on your lunch break. And like John is in the dungeon of the prison of King Herod, who was a terrible, horrible person. Things are not looking good for John. We do know that Jesus' ministry continues. As you follow the timeline of the New Testament, John gets put in prison. Jesus continues to do all the things that we know Jesus did. One thing we do know about this prison that John found himself in is that, that John's disciples, John's followers were able to visit him. And they were able to come share with him what was happening in the world around him. There came a time when we're told, we'll pick up the story where, where John's disciples came to tell John all that Jesus was doing. And we see that John was having a tough time. We pick up Luke chapter seven, verse 18, where it said that John's disciples had told him about all these things, all the things Jesus was doing, the crowds that were coming, the miracles that were happening. We see calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord. John sent his disciples to Jesus he said, I want you to ask him this question. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now, this is the guy who his entire life was groomed to prepare the way for the Messiah. This is the guy who baptized Jesus, who saw the dove, who heard the voice, who proclaimed boldly the coming of the Messiah and who boldly said, Jesus is it, that's him. And yet he finds himself in prison. And what we see happen is John sends his disciples to Jesus and he says, listen, I want you to ask him, are you really who I thought you were? Are you really the one that's to come or is there somebody else? Because what I'm seeing in my life right now 
isn't what the Messiah was supposed to do. See, life hit John hard, and all of a sudden what we see is that he began to doubt. He began to question. Maybe you know what that's like. Maybe you, you've been in church for a long time. Maybe you come places. You hear us sing songs, right? Jesus, you're the way maker, the chain breaker. Like, Jesus, you change everything. Yet you've been praying for years that Jesus would just change something and nothing's happened. You hear people like me get up here and talk about how Jesus is the healer. He's the great physician. All things are possible. And yet that family member still got cancer. They're still dying. That freedom is available. That you're more than a conqueror. That you can overcome. And yet your kid's still dealing with addiction. He's still facing the struggles. And if you would just get real honest with yourself like John did, there's sometimes you want to ask, Jesus, are you really, are you really who I thought you were? Or is there somebody else to come? John's disciples do exactly what he said. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask the question, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else. Now, I want you to get this picture. Jesus is speaking publicly. He's out doing his ministry. So much like I'm doing to you today, Jesus is before the people and he's healing people and he's teaching. And almost as if through a side door, John's disciples walk in, they raise their hand and Jesus is like, hey guys. And he's like, Jesus, John wanted us to come and ask you, are you really the Messiah? Or is there somebody else that's gonna come fulfill what the Messiah is supposed to do? In essence, saying, Jesus, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, so I'm just curious if there's somebody else that we need to be looking for. And the crowd's there, and they're watching this exchange happen. You would think, right, that Jesus would be offended. Like, how do you question who I am? How, how does John question who I am? But this is, this is how he handles it. Verse 21, it says, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits. He gave sight to many who were blind. And so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So John's disciples come in and they ask Jesus this question. Jesus, John's, John's got some trust issues. He just needs to hear, are you really the Messiah? And Jesus doesn't answer the question because Jesus never really answered a question. That's kind of his MO. And instead he says, watch this. And he begins performing miracles. And then he tells them, Go tell John what you've seen. And then he, what he does, if you, if you don't know the Old Testament scriptures, you'll kind of miss this. What Jesus then does is he direct quotes a prophecy from Isaiah of what the Messiah would be. Direct quote. The lame will walk, the blind will see, deaf ears will be opened. Jesus goes through and direct quotes almost everything that Isaiah said 
the Messiah would do. All but one. Jesus direct quotes everything, but he leaves one statement out of his message to John. And it's this one. Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would free the prisoners from the dungeon and from prison those who sit in darkness. See, John would have known this prophecy. John would have known what the Messiah was to do. And in essence, what Jesus tells John's disciples is you go tell John, yes, I'm God, but no, you're not getting out of prison. And that's a tough pill to swallow if you're John. And you would think as John's disciples leave and they go back to tell John what they'd seen, what they had heard, lame walked, blind. And John would be like, okay, well, what about the prisoners? He didn't say anything about the prisoners. Jesus then turns and imagine if you're him, how would you handle the crowd at this point? You've already addressed John and his disciples. You see, for us as, as leaders, you would almost feel like, well, I need to explain what just happened, right? Like, guys, I'm sorry. Like, John's in prison. He's dealing with some stuff, but don't doubt. Don't trust. You just gotta trust. Don't fear. Don't. When you would think, if you've got trust issues like I do, you've seen pastors do it wrong. Leaders do it wrong. When you would think Jesus would would publicly reprimand John for doubting who he is. What you see is Jesus does the exact opposite of that. Check this out. Luke chapter seven, verse 24 says that after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. He said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. For those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. They're not in the wilderness. Verse 26, but what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. For this is the one about whom it was written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And then verse 28, this is what you can't miss. Jesus says, for I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. See, in our world today, we like having the, the goat debate, right? Me and Pastor Steve, are, it's, it's infamous at this point comes to basketball, who's the greatest? Some say LeBron James, greatest of all time. Those of us who love Jesus know that Michael Jordan is clearly, it's not even close. It's the greatest, but it's a debate that we have. If you're a golf person, right? Like people argue, is it, is it Jack Nicholas? He's got the most majors, He's, or is it Tiger Woods? They argue over it. You jump into 
biblical heroes, right? Who, who's the greatest? Is it the apostle Paul? Right? He wrote the majority of the New Testament. We're all here today because of the ministry that Paul had in taking the gospel, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. We're here because of Paul. Is it Paul? Is he the greatest? Is it, is it David? King David, this man who God said was a man after my own heart, who through his lineage, the Messiah would be born, who fought the giant Goliath and won victory over the Philistines. Is he the greatest? You see, when you read scripture, it's clear. Jesus doesn't leave this one up for debate. He said, of anyone who has ever been born of a woman, I'm pretty sure that's all of us, right? <laughs> of anyone born of a woman, there is no one greater than John. But you see, here's the cool part. Jesus didn't say John was the greatest when the angel prophesied his birth. Jesus didn't say John was the greatest as John was baptizing Jesus, as the Holy Spirit is, is descending upon them, as they are hearing the audible voice of God. That's not when Jesus said John was the greatest. It wasn't when John publicly proclaimed that Jesus is the Messiah, pointing people back to him. Jesus said John was the greatest when John got real. When John publicly said, Jesus, I've got trust issues. And I'm gonna be honest with you, Jesus, I'm starting to doubt if you really are who I've believed you to be. It was in that moment that Jesus turns and says, you know what? That's real. That's honest. That's my guy. I can trust that guy. He's not fake. He's not a phony. He's not putting on. John, that's the greatest. That's the guy. So see it. So many times people come into church, whether you're watching online or Lawrenceburg, and you, you come and you want us to give you answers. I didn't come today to give you answers. But I came today to tell you that it's okay to ask questions. Jesus isn't worried about your doubts. The trust issues that we experience God isn't afraid of your feelings. I don't know what situation you're dealing with, but I know he's the savior. I can't promise when you pray and you take your needs to him that I can't promise he's gonna answer you. And maybe like John, I can't promise that, that you're gonna get the report you want. I can't promise that the miracle's gonna happen. can't promise that he'll answer your questions, but I can promise he'll listen. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know if it's all going to be good in your life, but I know he's God and I know he's good. And I know for some of you, today's the day that you need to get real 
with God and say, you know what? I've been putting on this front because I thought that's what faith was. I've been pretending that I was okay because somebody once told me that's what faith is. I just want you to know I came here today to tell you that's not faith at all. Real faith says, Jesus, I've got questions, but you know what I do with those questions? I take them to Jesus and say, God, I'm, I'm struggling. And scripture tells us that you can take all those cares and you can cast them on him. You know why? Because he cares for you. If you're here today and you would be honest with yourself, honest with God enough, I'm not asking anybody to bow their heads. I want you to be honest today. If you would be honest enough to agree with me and say, you know what, I've got trust issues. I want you to raise your hand. Father, you see every single hand, God. You see every, every person, God, who is on this journey, God, to know you, to find the Messiah, Father, to truly honor God. You know what we're dealing with. You know what we're facing. You know our doubts. And Father, I'm so thankful that you're not, you're not afraid of those doubts. We don't have to fake it until we make it. We don't have to pretend to be something that we're not, that we can be real people with real problems knowing that you're a real God who loves us and that you'll meet us in the place when we decide to be honest with you. God, every single need, every single heart that's here, Father, I pray right now that in some supernatural way, God, even if they don't get out of prison, Father, that they would somehow be able to grab a hold of your promise. God, work in this place today, God. Your children are listening. We love you, Father. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.